This week, in the final episode of 2022, I am joined by Pia Ramona Wojtanek, Head of Strategy at London quant firm GSA Capital Partners. We hear about her journey into the industry, how the firm is trying to widen access into alternatives, and its own big recent change in strategy. My name is Will Wainwright, and this is Alternative Fund Insight. Thank you for joining me today. As ever, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave a comment and subscribe on your chosen platform. This week, we've been looking back at 2022, highlighting our most listened to episodes with the likes of Jean-Philippe Bouchot, Stuart Fiertz and David Megerman. If you work in hedge funds or private markets, please check out alternativefundinsight.com, where recent pieces have explored the rise of multi-strategy and looked back at the key allocator trends of 2022. Pia, thank you for joining me on AFI today. Can we start with an update on GSA and your role there? Absolutely. Um, So GSA is a systematic trading firm that was founded in 2005 by Jonathan Hiscock um, when he spun out his equity startup team from Mm -hmm. uh, Deutsche Bank. And from the original 15 people, we've grown to be 150 people. Over that time, we hired some of the world's brightest STEM grads uh, into our tech and quad roles, um, especially those that just enjoy working on uh, these really interesting and challenging problems that quant trading offers, uh, combined with that commerciality that you get. We added to the startup strategies that we had originally um, and established ourselves in many other styles of systematic trading across different asset classes and trading horizons, all the way from HFT to more fundamentally driven quant macro and equity models with holding periods of months and and really everything in between. Now, some of these are very scalable um, with capacities in the billions and tens of billions with lower sharp ratios, and others are more capacity constrained uh, with higher sharp ratios. Now, these higher capacity strategies, like trend following, for example, uh, can have very long periods of negative returns. Yet, at the same time, investors tend to expect uh, quite a high degree of uh, transparency and reporting uh, and servicing, which isn't quite the case for the higher shop ratio strategies, uh, where sort of consistency of returns um, speak for themselves, really. So over these years, um, we grew AUM by pushing into these higher capacity strategies. We grew our sales and marketing teams, and we grew and diversified our investor base over that time. But then what we found was that we grew really increasingly conflicted in this overall business strategy um, because it's almost two different business models. It's either growth by increasing AUM or growth by generating strong returns and compounding on that. Um, And we really found that that had a really direct impact on our resources. So do you tell researchers to focus on alpha or to write white papers um, about trend following uh, for your investment consultants? And, you know, we really got to a point where we feared that this 
sort of simultaneous pursuit um, of becoming uh, both uh, a very large investor servicing asset manager uh, and also a high-performing quant trading beast, um, we feared that we, you know, by being torn into these two directions, wouldn't really achieve either goal um, to the best of our abilities. And at the same time, pursuing asset growth in this sort of sales-late fashion was maybe never really quite part of our DNA um, of sort of wanting to uh, simply generate really, really high returns and being sort of at the forefront of alpha. So last year, in terms of our update on GSA, uh, we decided to return all capital to investors uh, in our more scalable funds uh, and focus on these core alpha strategies. And that's given the firm a real clarity of focus and we've seen uh, renewed energy and vigor and creativity really across all of our business areas. Um, we've also had a really strong year of performance in our alpha strategies, uh, which is probably more incidental to the changes as you know, it does take time uh, for anything to sort of reflect in terms of performance. Um, but we're now, um, our um, capital, our um, flagship fund is almost entirely inside capital, um, partners and employees, uh, which is fantastic because it gives us this uh, permanent capital anchor uh, and allows us the stability to invest into more speculative research um, and also just think more strategically uh, and long term. And really in that environment of strategic change, uh, we introduced this role, which is my role now um, mm. of head of strategy um, earlier this year, um, which came out of me being a strategy consultant um, for a year beforehand. And it's really to work with our um, management committee uh, on overall business strategy questions. So that's not only what businesses uh, to invest in, part of our business to invest in, but also our research management structure, incentives, our culture uh, and our yeah, branding. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting to get that um, that perspective on the, the journey that GSA has been on. And it's, it's one that we're starting to, to see slightly more commonly in, in the hedge fund and systematic market. Let me ask you, what was your own journey into the quant investing industry? So I joined um, out of my PhD, uh, I actually joined TSA uh, a decade ago um, into a quant, uh, in a quant research role. So um, my background is in computer science, but I had quite a unusual um, academic path and uh, I would say um, coming into quant uh, investing was neither uh, the result of some grant master plan or much planning mm-hmm. probably at all. <laughs> um, so I would say um, I've always been more of a uh, polymath um, that couldn't really resist doing whatever seemed to be the hardest mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> um, and then uh, I had quite a lot of sprinkle of luck and coincidence in this path. So um, I actually uh, grew up in Germany um, and, and at school, I, I sort of jumped a few grades. And at some point I saw a poster that um, University of Cologne was offering uh, that high school students could go mm-hmm. to university at the same time as going to school. And so from there, um, I ended up um, you know, doing that for three years. And when I finished school at around 16, um, I'd done a first year of, of a maths undergrad. Mm. Um, but at that point in time, 
I um, I thought that was maybe a little bit too narrow to just do maths. So uh, I found out that you could do a second degree at the same time as long as it's at a different university. Uh, and I signed up as well for uh, German literature and then ended up, ended up studying um, at the same time as, as maths. Um, ended up studying uh, medieval German literature and language, <laughs> which I had a jolly good time Yeah, with, it's not but, necessarily um... <laughs> the, the background you expect, you know, German literature research ending up in quantitative <laughs> trading. Exactly. Um, but then again, uh, as a dose of luck, um, I uh, found out that there was an exchange to go to Oxford, so I ended up doing a master's in linguistics at Oxford. And at the end of that... Um, uh, I had a few options. I could either uh, do a master's in, in maths or I could just go straight into a PhD. Um, and I found that I could do computational linguistics, oh. which uh, tied together um, both the sort of the mathematical side and the linguistic side that I had done. And uh, again, it seemed like the hardest next thing to do. So I thought, <laughs> hey, I will do that. <laughs> um and, you know, coming to the end of that PhD, uh, it, it was really recruiters that ended up giving me a call. And one of them said, hey, uh, why don't you apply for hedge funds? And I had no idea what hedge funds really were, to be honest. Um, but one of those were, was GSA. And um, the recruiter especially said, hey, it's, it's really hard to get in. Um, even just getting through one round of interviews um, at GSA is uh, an absolute triumph. And I thought... So it was the challenging aspect of the industry that attracted you, really, r rather than any kind of pre-knowledge about it. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I did these interviews and I had 16 interviews with GSA. You know, I, I loved the fact that it was you know, hard to get in and that the people that are there were just really, really smart. And what I found when I interviewed was that um, I was really surprised. I enjoyed the interviews. I found that I was just really sitting with the same kind of geeks that I had been surrounded uh, by in my PhD. Uh, we were looking at quite interesting questions, quite interesting problems. They clearly enjoyed uh, being you know, quite academic and quite geeky. Um, and they're simply really good people. Uh, and I wanted mm. to be part of that. I didn't really want to do anything else if that was was an option. And the combination yeah. of doing something very hard, potentially very lucrative around, you know, great people, like what's not to like? Did that surprise you that you came into this environment and actually it was it was one that, you know, you hadn't really known about? You, you didn't know much about the hedge fund industry, even as you were doing your advanced studies. And, and then suddenly you know, you found yourself in this environment that you actually quite enjoyed. Absolutely. I didn't know that in, you know, in, in the real world or <laughs> uh, in sort of industry, there, there were these options um, to simply mm. be me working on very interesting stuff, uh, but in a way that uh, you know, it's also quite lucrative for myself. Um, and, you know, I think it's probably a combination of uh, it being uh, sort of the quant investing industry um you know everyone uh, around in the tech and research roles or uh, mathematicians computer scientists etc um but i also think that in my case it was also gsa's own culture 
which is really one mm. of a lot of respect and trust and integrity. It's uh, here's a co- company of like you know if you're an asshole you're not going to get very far. Um, there's just no hubris. Um, it's real intellectual honesty and and you know, people are very measured. And I, I I probably had preconceptions that that's not what finance is. Um, and I, I yeah. feel incredibly lucky to have found um, such a such a great spot. And and have have has that experience made you want to kind of help other women coming up through and you know improve and widen access to the industry? Absolutely. And to be honest, uh, I didn't initially think all that much about it. So yes, it's true there aren't many women in in quant finance, and um, I think over the years, GSA is in taken research roles maybe been around ten percent, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but. Quite honestly, I um, I was also very used to that. I mean, I've done a computer science PhD at Oxford, and the numbers weren't all that much different. And so it, it wasn't necessary that I came in and thought, oh, you know, wow, uh, this is very unusual at all. Um, and I I have to say, I never really thought much about the fact that I'm a woman. Um, no one's really made me feel like I need to either. But there, there, there has been a trigger for me really to to want to look at access a little bit more widely. And that was, uh, I did a talk um, a few years ago, maybe around 2016, 2017 um, at Oxford. Um, and it was to graduates, um, so masters and, and PhD students in sort of maths, computer science and stats. And, um, and there weren't that many women present, of course, but after that talk, uh, a bunch of people came up to me and asked me questions and uh, the guys asked me various things like what coding languages do you use or uh, you know what does alpha mean or any of these types of things uh, and then the woman came up to me and asked me but how is it to be a woman um, in finance and that really stuck with me because I thought you know look I, I want to tell you my experience which is if you're happy around the type of people that you're around now uh, in your in your master's and in your PhD, you're going to be so happy, you know, where I work. And you're not going to be thinking about the fact that you're a woman and you can just do whatever, what you're good at and what you enjoy. Yeah. Um, and that's really something that um, is very important to me to bring across and to share. I guess another part of this, um, to increase um, participation in the industry uh, from underrepresented groups is you know widening the funnel at, at the start of academic careers um, by getting more women and others to study STEM subjects. Yes, absolutely. And uh, look, I, I think it's the, the truth is that um, getting more women into uh, finance and finance is is a complex issue of all, uh, and there's no one silver bullet. Um, certainly the biggest effect for us also to be able to hire uh, is the number of women going into maths, computer science, um, physics at A-level and, and university uh, level. And if you look at the numbers, you know, I just had a look at how the numbers are, but um, even on A-level, uh, on, on the uh, sort of A-level stage, We've got under 20% women in computer science. We've got maybe a quarter up to a third um, uh, of those that take a physics and maths A-levels, uh, female. Um, if you look at the 
Oxford um, applications and admissions, again, only 20% of those uh, that start a computer science degree are, are women. And for us to, mm. to then hire, you know, we, we unfortunately do have to wait uh, quite a bit for the influence um, at grassroots to catch up. Um, you know, by the time yeah. uh, someone uh, can join um, uh, quant investing, you know, they will have had to do A-levels and have done a degree. And, and so anything we do now will take a few years to, to catch up and to make any difference for um, our hiring. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the other part, you know, you, you've touched on it, it's encouraging those with the, the really advanced academic skills, the PhDs in these subjects to actually advance into the industry and uh, and understand that they can feel at home there, which which is the experience you've had. Yes, absolutely. And part of you know what we're we're trying to do uh, as well is to uh, say that <laughs> and to be present. And one of the very important things is to have role models um, to see women uh, be in these roles and and be successful and have really great careers. Um, and so part of you know what we're doing as a company is, or also me personally, is well even doing this this podcast um, and getting that story out there. Um, we also have partnerships um, with, uh, for example, She Can Code, which is a, um, a mm -hmm. women in tech support hub, 130,000 users at the moment, which grew out of a blog. Uh, and it has loads of tools and resources for women in tech and that want to transition into tech. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've done blog posts. We um, are part of panel discussions to really increase that visibility. Um, we're also a part mm -hmm. of the of Games Girls Are Investors, which is a charity set up by investment professionals. Um, they focus on early engagement with sixth form and university students, um, and they also have an internship mm -hmm. program. So we um, pledge to have a couple of interns uh, that come through there. So you know, we, we um, part of what we do is really bring out that visibility and talk about these careers um, and offer internships as well um, for, for for women and, and generally underrepresented groups um, to, to yeah. have exposure to the industry. That, that's great. And, you know, do you think things are improving quickly enough? Well, look, um, looking at the data coming out of... Um, uh, out of the A-level and uh, undergraduate uh, subscriptions? Not really. I mean, if I think about the fact that I finished my PhD a decade ago, uh, numbers, especially computer science, aren't much different. Um, and that's, um, mm. you know, that's, that's challenging. But things do improve and they do continuously get better. And, uh, for example, recently we had... Um, uh, more than 20% uh, of participants at uh, one of the talks that we gave um, uh, that were female. Um, and and mm -hmm. also, you know, from, from an um, actual kind of transitioning into the industry perspective, um, there's a lot that we can do and that we also get involved in. So to give you an example, um, we have set economic incentives to our recruiters uh, to source candidates, high quality candidates from diverse backgrounds. So they get incentivized um, not to, just to bring us candidates to apply, but really, really incentivized to bring us those that are geared towards um, success and that will get through our interviews. And that is starting to show um, effects. Now, that's not the same as positively discriminating in the selection process. 
Uh, and that's very, very, very important. Um, first of all, we don't think that's necessary at all. Um, and in fact, um, we can already see that on our data, the progression rates of uh, women getting through our interviews is the same as the overall population. Um, but it's also this mm -hmm. cultural okay. thing. So especially at GSA, um, you know, if you, you know, you get through the interviews, you, you come in, uh, you know, you've got immediate respect and you're there because you're really great. So, you know, we make sure that we, um, that the funnel that comes to us um, is incentivized um, and that, you know, we really see uh, uh, female candidates because, you know, we can't hire what we can't see. Um, and so we do that. And mm -hmm. that is very, very important uh, just to make sure that we don't lose anyone who would just have a fantastic career and enjoy themselves uh, and be very successful uh, through um, you know, any mechanism. Uh, we don't want to do that. We want to highlight um, that and really make sure that everyone um, who's great can, can be part of this. And do you think the recruitment industry has responded well to that challenge of um, you know, widening its... Um, its access. We have certainly uh, seen an uptick in uh, female applicants that have come to us. So it is working. Uh, and, you know, we've had um, really great interviews and, and also new joiners um, through that. Uh, so absolutely, these these types of incentives and setups, uh, they do work. I'm just wondering, you know, when you give your talks, what's the main bit of advice that you, you give to to those who are you know thinking about what to do in their careers I would say do internships absolutely I didn't do one and mm -hmm. I, I kind of regret it because I made my life a lot more stressful by not uh, having seen what industry is really like uh, before I you know, finished my PhD um, but internships are such a mm -hmm. great way to get to know industry get to know a company see whether it's for you and it's very low risk I mean worst case you've spent three months of your life thinking well, okay, I'm not going to do that with my life. Um, I would also say absolutely use the interview process to assess the culture of a firm. Um, you know, I yeah. certainly found my interviews, I enjoyed them. And I, you know, I felt like I was going to be very happy at that firm, um, that these were the right sort of people for me. That, uh, and you do pick up uh, these things in an interview process so absolutely use these interview and and you know if you don't like what what that felt like then you know re react to it um and then probably yeah. last yeah. but not least i would say uh not to worry too much um which i think is is a real challenge but uh some of the most capable uh impressive humans that i know um feel like they have imposter syndrome um you know and it doesn't go yeah. away with being further down your career or more successful um at all um but you know knowing that that kind of everyone feels sometimes like worried or <laughs> unsure uh that's so important especially mm. early in your career it's it's just normal so if you want something go for it give it a go um and you know don't overthink it uh, and you know, focus on the job and what you need to do i just wanted to go back while i've got you to you know talking about um gsa um and you know you, you are head of strategy so you know, we're talking at the end of 2022. So what are your um, what's your strategy research priorities for next year? 
we have a fantastic culture. Um, it is something that uh, is very, very loved by those that are uh, at the firm. And we want to make sure that we communicate that to the outside world. Um, and our branding uh, mm-hmm. is very, very important. And we now have a chance to... Um, you know, with the strategic change, we can focus um, also a lot more communicating our employer brand and our to our talent, uh, who we are, and that's incredibly exciting for for me to be um, working on, uh, so that we can really uh, bring out the word. And um, Alpha Strategies. So, is that going to continue with its current areas of of focus in terms of? Um... Trading. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, our focus um, is especially on the, um, you know, higher sharp, um, uh, high return on capital strategies. And, you know, we have various uh, different types of uh, research going on at the moment. Um, it's very supported by the fact that we now have this permanent capital so we can be uh, very fast and very agile um, in building these out um, and really capitalizing on the talent that we have. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today and those insights, Pia. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Pia. Alternative Fund Insight wishes listeners and readers a relaxing festive break and best wishes for 2023. See you in January.